Welcome to the Change Something Podcast, where we recognize that we all have 168 hours in one week. How will you leverage it? How will you use it not only for your own good, but for the good of your city? On this podcast, we'll speak with psychologists, chiropractors, teachers, truckers, first responders, writers, and all sorts of professionals every month for 15 minutes or less to provide tools and tips to not only better your life, but to help you participate in the good of your city. My name is John Ju, and I'm glad that you are joining us. Today, in the midst of the coronavirus, I have a guest who's on the front lines of the COVID fight. Her name is Marla, and she's a nurse at a local community hospital in Illinois. She is one of the millions of nurses alongside doctors and hospital workers who are foregoing personal risk for the safety of our community. As we have mentioned in previous episodes, anxiety often comes from a lack of clarity. So before we dive into how you'd encourage our listeners and before you provide a tip, can you tell us a little bit about the hospital scene in your area? Like what does a typical day look like and how is it different than before COVID? Um, I work in the ICU. And so normally in the ICU, we get about two patients per nurse. Mm -hmm. And it just varies depending on how critical the patient gets. And in the community hospital that I work in, majority of our patient population would include um, sepsis, open heart surgeries, patients Mm -hmm. with respiratory failure that would lead to ventilation support and other surgical patients. What is the biggest difference in care for COVID patients and the general population in the ICU? Before COVID, in regards to respiratory patients, we would have patients going through, you know, COPD, asthma attacks, and um, heart failure, and they would go into respiratory distress, and sometimes it leads to having them go on a ventilator. Sure. And with these COVID patients, I mean, most of our population now kind of focuses on these types of patients because a lot of surgical patients are on hold. We're not seeing many of those. And I guess in the beginning of this whole pandemic, our census actually kind of dropped down a little bit because everyone's staying home. And so now I think it's kind of going up and we're getting a lot more of these um, respiratory failure patients and they are a lot sicker. From what I see, I mean, I've worked in ICU for about three years. And when a patient gets into severe respiratory distress, you know, we would put them in ventilators, they would require a lot of oxygenation. And at one point, if we're giving them pretty much all we can, we prone them, that's what it's called, and we put them on their stomachs. Um, The reason for that is that it helps expand their lungs to bring in some more oxygenation. That I would say in our small community hospital, I would see, I think I've seen about three of them in the three years I've worked since, you know, for about three weeks since these COVID patients have come in, I've seen about like either five or six within two weeks of these patients turning, you know, downhill very quickly. And so it's really scary that, um, you know, to see how quickly these patients can turn on you. And so Mm. every time we come into work, I think we're on like, tension. The tension in the unit just is very, very high. Yeah. That makes total sense. I mean, if you've only seen three in the past three years, and then now you're seeing six in the past three weeks, I'm sure you can feel the tension palpable down the hall and in the rooms. Yes. It is very, very high stress, but um, I would say I'm very glad I work with amazing coworkers. Yeah. How has visitation or visitation rights for family members changed at the hospitals in general? 
ours definitely changed the complete 180 because in our okay. ICU, there's some ICUs or close ICUs where they would only allow two family members at a time. But for us in our ICU, it's an open, it's an open unit. So you can have, okay. depending on the critical um, situation or condition that the patient's in and how busy the, you know, the patient is or their plans for the day, we would let however many family members come in 24 seven. And mm-hmm. then now it's a complete change because we just are in complete lockdown. Wow. Patients are in critical condition and family members would keep calling, you know, which I totally understand. I call them to give them updates, but I can't imagine how difficult it is for them to not be able to see them, hold their hands, be there for support. It's been difficult. And it's sometimes us nurses also rely on family members to be for their loved one because their loved one's anxious and afraid. And so having someone familiar with them at the bedside really helps them. But at this time, the best that we can do is just kind of have them, you know, on the phone, have them talk to them at the bedside. And that's the best we can do wow. at times. So many ways, I feel like I'm hearing you say that nurses and healthcare professionals are not only medical professionals, but right now in the midst of the distancing and the lockdowns of the ERs and the ICUs, you guys are playing the role of counselor as well. Yes, we're playing the role as a family member. And you know what, we'll do it any day. Because it's hard. We see how hard the situation that they're going through. And I can't imagine if it was my family member going through this alone. And, you know, you just try to be like their family during their stay at the hospital. Wow. I know earlier that you were mentioning that COVID and care for patients has and does take on personal toll. Can you tell us how the coronavirus has affected your personal life? What's been the hardest to take? Sure. Um, I think the hardest to take is the unknown and the possibility of getting the people that you love infected. And we're just so afraid to bring it home to our families. And so a lot of us have taken precautions and have isolated ourselves. For me, for about, I want to say about two weeks now, my husband's been staying in in our kid's room. And I've stayed Mm. in the master bedroom, stayed there and not come downstairs until like nighttime until everyone's up and away from me. Yeah. It's been difficult. It's just the fact that, you know, my kids are young, so they don't really understand what's going on. And so they would come up to me, try to hug me, try to hug and play. And I would just kind of step back and just tell them, you know, mommy can't do it right now. So yeah, you miss your family and the, the normal lives that you used to live just about a month ago. Yeah, it sounds like things have changed a lot for you. So are you saying specifically that you haven't been able to even physically embrace your kids? Or is it just more different precautions that you're taking? I started out in the beginning where I would just wear masks at home. Sure. And then the more that we are exposed to these types of patients, I'm saying, and you know, I just can't help but think, you know, you would have people that actually are not showing any signs at all. And so I'm afraid that if I don't show signs and I'm just going around the house touching everything and everyone, I would just end up infecting someone in the house. And since two weeks ago, I actually, I have cheated (laughs) a couple of times where I would shower and then wash my hands, put a mask on, and then I would hug my husband and hug my son. But around that time, my daughter, who's 16 months, is already sleeping. So I haven't hugged her for two weeks. And I've hugged my son about two times for two weeks. So it's it's been rough. But No, I can't even imagine that sacrifice and even mental toll that takes on you and different healthcare workers. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's been rough. 
it's been rough, but you know, we just kind of think in the future, it'll get better. But for now, we just have to make some sacrifices. Yeah. So what keeps you going? What keeps you daily going back to work and caring for different patients, even in the midst of having the fear of, of being infected or infecting somebody that you love? I think what keeps me going is just the fact that I know that I'm helping people yeah. and I have seen people get better. You know, the ones that we thought that were not going to make it, we actually have taken out the breathing tube and it's just, wow. it's such a great feeling seeing them get better and that there's a likelihood that they'll be coming back home to their families. And so that really, you know, keeps me going. Wow. Yeah. No, that's amazing to hear. It really sounds like a value you hold is compassion and the compassion is a big reason why you, you choose to continue to go back to work. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. A vision for the Change Something podcast is to help our listeners or someone that they know receive tips so that we can be good for our communities. With so much information floating around, just what is one practical tip you'd offer a listener who says, hey, I don't need to social distance. It doesn't seem like it's such a big deal. I'm not in the high-risk category anyway. How would you respond to that? The longer we do not comply with social distancing, the longer we're going to be social distancing <laughs> and the more severe the repercussions sure. will be. So it's like, it's not just for one person, it's for the whole community. We won't be able to bring down any of our numbers if people just keep spreading the disease. And many are doing it unknowingly. Mm. So that's, I think that's the scary part. It's just that you have one that doesn't get symptomatic that can carry the virus to a family member or a friend, you know, someone else's loved one that can potentially sure. hurt them. So anyone that's kind of not thinking that they don't need the social distancing means that they're assuming the lives of the ones around them. So I think now more than ever, we need to think about and worry about the community. Yeah. No, I love that. It's definitely a community initiative, right? All of us coming together yes. because the healthcare system is a part of the community and so are the elderly and those are at high risk. So even if we or the listener doesn't necessarily fall into the high risk category, by us staying at home, it really alleviates a lot of the pressures on our healthcare and gives the best chance for people to continue living in a healthy way. Yes, I agree. How are you thinking about or have you seen the hospitals or community come together to provide hope? I guess there's many examples I've seen. So, I mean, you would see the communities just driving by hospitals, you mm. know, showing their appreciation, but also not just the community, but also other healthcare providers showing each other support. You know, we would have physicians and nurses sharing new and helpful information yeah. that can help fight the virus, how to protect ourselves, and any words of encouragement from other units in the hospitals just reminds you that no one's alone in this fight. And, mm. and us and the healthcare is not going to stop fighting until it's over. Yeah, no, I was reading about actually an article about an hour ago that there's a tech company out in California or a legal company out in California and they were furloughing their workers. But the vice president thought, you know what, instead of furloughing, why don't we just begin to make masks? So they bought some supplies That's awesome. and they began making masks and they're giving it out to different um, healthcare workers and, and people who are in need or the elderly. And the vice president is taking money out of his own pocket and paying for the materials and paying for the workers to make masks instead of do legal legal counsel. That's amazing. Yeah. It's just like it shows you that we're all in it together. Have you at your specific location had any organizations do anything for you guys to encourage you or support you specifically? Oh, absolutely. All the time. I mean, even my neighbors over here have 
texted me like, Hey, I know you work, you know, you're a nurse and you work in the hospital, like any way that we can help you. Mm. Like a lot of people have been asking if they can make masks for us. And uh, there's other people that are sending meals for the healthcare workers that are working. So it's, it's great. They send us letters. And so there's a lot of people helping and supporting. And I hope that's what our listeners are hearing right now, that there are so many different creative ways that we can support and show love in the season, right? It could be a letter, it could be a meal, it could be making a mask if that's a gift that you have, but it's just not one lane. Yes. And I think the greatest gift of all is just staying home and being careful. Mm, Yeah. Social distancing, being careful. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like it leads back to that area. Uh, There are over 18 million healthcare workers in the United States. A study published on March 23rd in the medical journal JAMA found that among 1,200 healthcare workers working with COVID patients in China, over 50% reported symptoms of depression, over 44% symptoms of anxiety, 34% insomnia, and 71% reported distress. Nurses and other frontline workers were among those with the most severe symptoms. What is one creative way that we can support you guys in the time of the coronavirus? I mean, what would be the most encouraging? I mean, I would say check up on us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I've got like a bunch of family members, which is really nice. And, you know, I've been in isolation for like two weeks now. And it's, I would have to agree, it's it's really taken a toll mentally. Sure. And I mean, I would talk to my coworkers and they're, they're going through the same thing. And it's it's different the uncertainty of like, and I think, I think they're saying you're getting, we're getting like some pre-traumatic syndrome, you know? So I've got family members just texting me like, Hey, just thinking of you, hopefully you're doing okay. So, I mean, even just that just means so much. You don't feel alone, Mm. you know, in the fight. And so I think it's really nice being emotionally there for them. Yes. Yeah. Providing a safe place to help process some of these fears and anxiety. Somebody who's going to listen to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting to think about projecting in the future. I know right now you guys are in it day in and day out. And once some of these symptoms and COVID begins to lessen, what does it look like for healthcare professionals to process through the traumatic event of social distancing yourself from your family for long periods of time or to live in a consistent state of anxiety and fear? I've seen nothing but great things with support from everyone. It's just really awesome. Yeah. And I think it just goes back to how the community at dire times like this just really shows that people would step up and help each other out. Yeah. So it's really, it's really nice to see that. Well, hey, Marla, thank you so much for not only your willingness to serve our community in this time of uncertainty, but even going so far as to isolating yourself from your family. I mean, I just can't imagine the amount of courage it takes to do what you're doing. So on the behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for what you do and really who you are as a human being. Oh, thank you so much, John. Thank you too for your, for your time and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Medical professionals and all those involved in our essential services are making life-altering sacrifices to serve us. For Marla... Compassion is a driver that keeps her serving. What or who keeps you serving? How can you be the good, even if it's as practical as social distancing or becoming a safe space for people to process their feelings? Let's be the good. Let's go change something.